Welcome to episode 14 of Cutting Through the Noise. Today I'm joined by Richard Kavanagh, who's going to share his experience in developing new consultation tools in the tech space. Richard's passion around the hair app is really contagious and he talks me through the vast amount of innovation, opportunities that he's put into the product from business KPIs to AI and tech that can read hair texture, porosity and everything in between. Thank you so much for joining me today, Richard. I'm pretty excited to um, have you on Cutting Through the Noise. And I was actually thinking of you and chatting to you last week, and then we connected about some other work stuff, and I was like, oh, my God, this is perfect. Great timing. Great timing, (laughs) and it's great to be here. Look, I love, and I I was thinking about this, Cutting Through the Noise. What a great name for the podcast. It is, it is, yeah. So um, in your own words, can you give all of the listeners a bit of a bio about your career so far and who you are? Most people are going to know you, but for anyone that doesn't, I think an intro would be fantastic. My name is Richard Kavanagh and I'm a hairdresser. I started hairdressing straight out of high school when I was 15, Um, dropped out of high school to do hair, much to um, my family's kind of, I want to say they weren't that impressed with me doing that. Um, I was always really interested in the idea of what a hairdressing career could look like, what shape it could take other than just being behind the chair in the Mm -hmm. salon. After I finished my apprenticeship, I kind of hitchhiked around, did a few different things, worked in salons, managed salons, owned my own salon. And in the nineties, I started session styling. So that means that I work on photo shoots, fashion shows, and red carpet styling for celebrities. Uh, for various things. And that's been my career for the last, I want to say, well, since the 90s, yeah. <laughs> quite a long time. And that's been a career full of pinch me moments. And look, to be honest, back in the day, I was working in a small suburban salon in Devonport in Auckland, New Zealand. And this woman came in to have her hair cut. I'd never met her before. Um, and she was one of those people who kind of uh, I, I suppose she carried herself in an apologetic way, if you know what I mean. She, like she, she made herself small. Yeah. She carried herself small. She kind of came in very quietly and sat down, and and she was she wasn't in any way vivacious. She sat in my chair for a consultation, and I couldn't even kind of get her to look in the mirror. Every time I pulled her head up to look in the mirror, so that I could do the consultation by looking at her face and her hair. Every time I did that, she'd catch sight of herself and she'd glance away. She'd look away. She couldn't look at herself in the mirror. And so she had this, obviously, she had a lot of kind of personal, you know, self-image challenges. And I I, I never forget this woman. She had sort of thick, coarse hair, not thick hair, but coarse hair strands with a bit of a bend in it. So it wasn't really curly, but there wasn't a lot of hair um and she had that hair that if it wasn't cut well would sit really badly and I think people hadn't paid attention to her you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and I looked at her and I looked at her in the mirror and the thing that stood out most of all was these amazing bright blue almond shaped eyes that she had um she also had a big port wine birthmark on her face and she would plaster her hair onto that so looking at her I cut her to this fringe uh to bring attention to her eyes which in my 
opinion, were her best feature. There's a little short kind of graduated bob with a bit of shaping around the face so she could wear it on her face and, and whatever. And I did nothing different to what I would do for any other client, which was grab a handful of mousse, which was one of the three styling products we had access to in the 90s. Uh, I got my blow dryer and my Denman brush and I blow dried her hair and I finished it. I dusted off her neck um, and I whipped the cape off, picked up the back mirror and I showed her the back of her hair. At that time, she looked up in the mirror for the first time in the whole appointment. And in my head, I'm I'm thinking she's just checking to see that I haven't completely buggered up her haircut. You know what I mean? Um, and she looks up and as she catches sight of herself in the mirror, her shoulders start to come back and she holds her gaze for a moment and a smile creeps across her face and her eyes light up and literally her spine straightens and it's like she grows an inch or two taller as she sits there and just looks at herself warmly with a little smile on her face and she kind of got up out of the chair with a kick in her step and she kind of pranced over to reception and paid and you know she she swung open the door and went off down the street looking very happy and pleased with herself. And, you know, it was a pretty normal interaction apart from the transformation I witnessed in her demeanor, you know, the way she carried herself. And the only thing that was different was that I think someone had seen her and made her feel seen mm. and made her feel valid. Like I saw her and I showed her the best version of herself through her hair, which was just what we all do, right? Yeah, yeah. And to this day, I know that was a long-winded part of the intro, but to this day, that moment is what drives me to do my job every single day, right? Because the power that we have as hairdressers to impact people's lives, I think sometimes we forget when we get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, the grind of it, you know? Yeah, we do. Um, and so my career has sort of taken me all over the world. You know, I've worked on fashion shows like McQueen and Prada and Versace, Saint Laurent, Calvin Klein, Marc Jacobs, you know, hundreds and hundreds of blue chip fashion shows around the world. Um, I've been a hair director in New York and, and Sydney and London. I've worked for titles like Vanity Fair and Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. But, and, and, you know, I've had all of these really pinch me crazy moments throughout my career, but none of them kind of match when I think back that moment. And for me, that's why I do what I do. That's an incredible bio. I've, I've got a, a question about it. And I don't know if I've imagined this, if I read it somewhere or, yeah, I, I may have just dreamt this. Is it true that you were you were an actor at one point? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is true. I accidentally uh, became an actor and a TV show host in New Zealand. <laughs> so I didn't imagine that. No, you didn't imagine okay. The, the other thing that people may not know about you is, and we've had this discussion a couple of times because I'm a dedicated yogi, so I kind of get the space that you're in. Um, and would I be correct in saying you're dedicated at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Is that yeah, yeah, correct? Yeah, that's correct. I'm a lifelong martial artist. In fact, uh, fighting saved my life. When I was a teenager, I was so naughty. I was a horrible, terrible apprentice. I'd go out <laughs> drinking and spending all my wages on, you know, pills and whatever else I could get my hands on and not pay my rent. And, you know, I was a horrible little teenager, just so excited about the world. And I feel so sorry for my bosses. I discovered martial arts when I was young and it literally saved my life. So I'm a lifelong martial artist, I'm a karate black belt, uh, golden gloves boxing champion, and I'm now a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, 
and uh, won a silver medal in the New South Wales State Champs last week. That is amazing. I love seeing all of those updates on Facebook whenever you compete. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, pretty it's exciting. I, I remember showing my husband there was a picture of you and, see, I don't know who any of these fighters are, and I'm like, hey, come have a look at this. Is this guy here a big deal? He's like, oh, yes. And I'm like, okay, so this is Richard. He's getting his photo taken with, uh, it must have been um, a mixed martial artist, I think. Yep. World champs. Yeah. So I've yeah. got a few mates who are world champs. Um, having been in martial arts for a long time and having kind of been around these people for a long time, I've known them since before they were world champs. I've known people around them. So I've been really lucky to kind of train with some of the best people in the world. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's good fun. I, I love it. And I love the juxtaposition. You know, when I used to box, um, I, I, I on more than one occasion heard my friends haunting my opponents by telling them I was a hairdresser. <laughs> you're going to get your ass kicked by a hairdresser. Yeah, you just got knocked <laughs> out by a hairdresser. Um, I guess the main reason for wanting to have this chat for you, with you today is for you to explain to everyone in the industry how you've become probably one of our forefronting innovators of the tech space. So can you talk everyone through what you do, what your products are, and how tech has integrated into that career landscape that you've just given us a bit of background on. Ah, yeah. So I now, um, as well as all of those other things that we talked about, I run a technology company. And I accidentally became the CEO of a tech company um, because I was invited to a uh, think tank by a colleague. And um, there were a bunch of business people that had gotten into a room and they wanted to address this particular issue that one man had, which was every time I go to my hairdresser, he said, um, and he went to an award-winning stylist and paid $85 every four weeks for a shampoo and cut from an award-winning stylist. He said, every time I go, my hairdresser says, what product do you use? And I say, Kevin Murphy, Knight Rider. And my stylist says, cool. And that's the end of the conversation. And he says, why doesn't he, why can't he sell me the product I use? Why can't I buy it from him? Because one, as a consumer, I'd rather buy my, I'd rather give him my money because I have a relationship with him. Mm. Two, it would be much more convenient for me because then I don't have to go to a second place to get my product. Or three, if he can't sell me the product that I like using, why doesn't he show me something that's similar from the range that he has? Um, is this an issue, one? Uh, is this something that's endemic in, across the industry? If we solved this problem, would it help the industry? And lastly, is there a technology solution that can help solve this? And so this was a three-day workshop. There was lots of big brains in the room. They were coming up with all these different kind of thoughts and, and, and ideas to explore and unpack this thing. And I just sat there going... You guys have no idea. You'll never get a hairdresser to do any of that stuff. None of that's going to work, you know. And then I had this moment. I had an epiphany, and I thought, you know what it is? It comes down to communication. And the number one most important piece of communication that any hairdresser will have with their client, whether it's a brand new client or an existing client, is consultation. And consultation meaning imparting and sharing knowledge and insights by asking the appropriate questions, digesting them through the lens of a professional kind of viewpoint, and then sharing back recommendations and ideas and a vision for a journey together with that client. 
And I thought, I, I kind of had this moment where I was like, you know what, if we could actually help address that particular point of view, the, the, the consultation, then that's actually not just going to solve that problem that we came into the meeting to talk about, which was how can I get my hair product from the, the guy that cuts my hair, but it's going to actually address a number of the kind of fundamental issues that face creative business owners and not just the hair industry. It's all creative business owners, you know, because as creatives, we focus on, we focus on the craft that we do. We focus on delivering the service to the customer. We focus on the outcome. We focus on the process, the, the, the creative outcome, right? And when it comes to hair, that's color, cut, and finish. That's what we focus on. And many hairdressers become salon owners and business owners or independent operators almost by accident. They become business owners by accident. Like yeah. I've become an actor by accident. I've become a CEO by accident. I've become all of these things by accident. And I think that's like all of us as hairdressers, we go, oh, do you know what? I see all this money coming in the door from these services. I'm doing all of the services and, and the majority of them. I don't like the color of the walls and the art and the music, and I don't like the chairs and the mirrors. I'm going to open my own place with the mirrors I like, the wall color I like, the music I want, and all of the money's going to go to me. And then they go, oh dear, mm -hmm. i got to run a business. And that's a whole different set of skills. And so for me, the idea was, how can we help hairdressers with their business by addressing that core piece of inter-client communication? And uh, so... Just to give you a little quick snapshot of the journey so far, we the conversation started with a three-day workshop. I then, in the workshop, had this little epiphany and I drew it on a piece of paper and I went up to a woman in, in the room and I said, hey, if your hairdresser did something like this with uh, an iPad, let's say, you know, um, and she was like, oh my God, I would love it if my hairdresser did that. That would be like so good because it would really help me. And I'm like, okay. So then I went and I made basically a PowerPoint presentation version of what is now the hair app um, on an iPad. And we went out and spoke to about 250 people. And I said, I'm not going to say too much about this. I just want you to kind of go through each of the slides and tell me what you hate about it, why you think it could be a good idea or a bad idea, et cetera. The coldest feedback we got, two pieces of cold feedback from 250 people, two pieces of cold feedback. Everything else was like, oh, I love it. It's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Two pieces of cold feedback. One was, I don't want you to have my personal information. Okay. One out of 250, right? Like we're all, we're subscribed to all sorts of different things. So one person out of 250. Okay. Fair enough. There's going to be some people that are going to think that. Okay. That's cool. That's normal. Hmm. so you don't change everything for one out of 250 right no um you go okay cool that's an edge case get it got it not for you um the second piece of cold feedback we got was from a client so the way that i approached this was i went to people i knew and i also went to my mate's salons and i just walked up to their clients and i'm like hey sorry for interrupting have a look at this tell me what you think and i just hand them my ipad in the middle of their service <laughs> no idea who they are no introduction no nothing um, and a client in one of my mate's salons said, well, this is obvious, isn't it? Shouldn't everyone be doing this? Isn't, shouldn't this be, isn't this normal? That was their cold feedback. And I went, ah, yeah. yeah. The consumer wants it. The client needs it. 
And so through the journey, so then, you know, we put a little bit of money in together to build a little prototype to test and validate the kind of like the, the functionality. Um, the journey grew um, over a five-year period. We we built a smart mirror as one of the ways to deliver the software in Salon because, you know, we, we thought that that was going to be pretty cool and it is pretty cool. Um, but it's always been quite a small part of the journey. Funnily enough, um, in terms of sort of media or attention, it's the mirror that's got us the most attention, whereas it's the software that's been our biggest thing that we've built. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we started to work on very early on, um, I had a mate uh, who was the head of Google Zoo in London, and Google Zoo is kind of a, a division of Google that does sort of cutting-edge creative projects within Google. Um, and his thing was AI. Um, it's about five years ago. And he said to me, hey, man, this is really interesting what you're doing. Can I, can I kind of be involved? Can I be in, come along for the ride? Um, and I was like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And so once a month, we would get together for an hour and we would talk about problems and solutions. And we would talk about specifically artificial intelligence or machine learning and how different people were approaching the development of AI at that time and what we wanted to do differently from the way they were generally doing it, particularly with the large language models and the image models. Yeah. So, um, for example, chat GPT, which everyone kind of is talking about at the moment, is no is basically a large language model, which means it's a machine learning model that um, takes all of the language and information that's been fed to it, mainly through the internet, um, and then it averages out all the information. So it gets kind of the the the, the medium or the average and determines what's most likely going to be the next word in a given sentence or paragraph based on the average of everything it's seen. And what we wanted to do was say, actually, rather than average down everything and sort of make everything vanilla, we wanted to focus on expert diagnostic level skills in the machine learning model. So we wanted to design an AI that could think like a really high level expert or could do assessment or diagnostics like a high level expert, um, kind of like what some of the people are doing in the medical space. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the change that we made. So for about, uh, or for a few years, we met once a month for an hour just to kind of brainstorm design. Then we'd go away and do little projects on our own. And then we'd come back together and we'd talk about, you know, what worked, what didn't work, et cetera. Until maybe middle of last year when we actually finally built a model that could assess hair like a high-level expert hairdresser by looking at a picture. And we built the model at first and, you know, validated that it worked and it could actually do it. And then guess what my job was? Train the AI with 17,000 images per category. So are you there literally like, you know, describing the keywords for each image so that they're no? Close, but 
but not even key. So it doesn't even work on keywords. Some of some of AI is really weird because some of AI, you don't really know what it's doing because it's not like a traditional algorithm which works on kind of keywords or keyword searches or tagging or whatever. Basically, you show it an image and you say, this image is X according to this category, mm -hmm. right? So let's say porosity. So I would say I would have um, five different categories of porosity from closed cuticle to slightly open to kind of medium to quite open to really porous. Um, and I, I was going to say really fucked. <laughs> yeah, really fucked. <laughs> really fucking cooked. And then I would put them all into those different kind of folders and then we would feed them to the thing to show it, hey, this hair is cooked. This hair is, you know, it's pretty fucked, but it's not too bad. This hair is good. This hair is great. Whatever. Yeah. And so with 17,000 images per category, so for porosity, for elasticity, for texture, for length, for curl, for color, um, for the amount of hair, for face shapes. And here's the thing that's really weird. This thing, I, I couldn't even describe to somebody how to do this with a set of kind of like a decision tree, right? Like I couldn't mm -hmm. say if this and this, then this is the outcome. Being able to determine whether hair is colored or not colored. So virgin or tinted, say. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's either not, it's either, it's it's brown hair, but it's natural or it's brown hair, but it's being colored. The accuracy on that particular component is crazy. It's like so accurate. And you're like, come on, how did you know that? But you know, like the thing is, as a hairdresser, sometimes you can, you, you kind of know, but you don't know how you know. For me, it's always about light reflection. I, I feel that like virgin hair has a very different way of reflecting light. But, and I don't know, it is, it's almost like a transparency in that light reflection. So yeah, it's amazing that a tech, tech tool would be able to find that nuance. Mm. That's the thing that amazed me the most, particularly because it is AI, it's machine learning. Um, and what we're doing is, as I mentioned, focusing on expert level diagnostic as opposed to kind of medium or averaging everything out. Yeah. I mean. Amazing. Um, and for us, that's kind of at the heart of, like it's quite tricky because that particular um, ability is at the heart of every expert level hairstylist, right? What sort of cutting tools, what sort of cutting techniques, what sort of cutting methods you will use are determined by the individual's hair type and texture. What sort of colors you will and won't do are determined by the person, the individual's hair assessment, right? A, is it colored? How dark is it? How porous is it? How fragile is it? What? How much can it take? How long will it take to get from this point to that point? Um, uh, you know, even coming down to as a as a my focus is primarily on styling, choosing styling products to get the outcome I want is like choosing color products. I think about how porous is this hair? How fine is it? Um, how how much hair is there? How big is the individual hair strand? Do I want it to be softer or harder? I choose products according to the hair condition and hair type. Mm. So for me, even though sometimes we forget that that's learned knowledge, that we all went to TAFE and we learned petals, porosity, elasticity, texture, amount, and length, you know, we all learned that thing. But 
it's because it, it's so ingrained in the touch of our hands and the haptic feedback that we get from touching and talking that we forget that it's learned knowledge, right? And so one thing that I've observed really interestingly about that particular thing, right, about hair condition is when you show a client the visual of their hair assessment with the cuticle layer open or closed, the size of the hair strand, the amount of hairs per square inch. I've seen hairdressers standing next to clients, clients looking at that kind of assessment of their hair with their eyes goggled, like, whoa, oh my God. I suddenly understood why my hair does what it does. And I've seen the hairdresser standing beside them, just not even noticing the light bulb moment because it's so deeply ingrained in us. Yeah. It's like, it is what it is. Doesn't everybody know that? No, they don't. So if I'm a client and I'm coming to Richard for a haircut, how how would this work in the salon chair? Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, Explain yeah, that good. experience to me. Okay, so here's here's how it works. Look, we all know hairdressers don't like doing anything, right? <laughs> we love having a chat. We love making pretty pretty shapes and colors with hair um, and uh, and having a drink. That's about it. Yeah. Um, so here's, here's what the consumer experience would be if, if they are using our technology and, and developing our AI, uh, using our AI that we developed. So they... I have this little thing in, so, so the product we have is called the Hair App. The Hair App runs across all sorts of devices, mobile, iPad, uh, smart mirrors, whatever. It's called the okay. Hair App. What is it? It's a Hair App and it's called the Hair App. So what happens is in the Hair App, there's this little thing called a prep link. I take that prep link and I integrate it into my salon software. So my outgoing appointment messages. Mm -hmm. My clients get a message from me saying, I'll see you next week. Uh, on such and such a day, such and such a time. Hey, can you add some pictures to your mood board here, please? With a link. Okay. They tap on that link. The link opens a page in the browser on their phone. And it's got my name, Richard Kavanagh. And it says, your hair consultation starts here. They tap a button to get started. It opens their camera, scans their hair and face, shows them their hair assessment, their hair type and texture, their face shape, their color and curl. Um, it gives them some little things they can tap on to go. They go, what's porosity? They tap on that and it tells them porosity is the cuticle layer of the hair, how open or closed it is, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then they go, okay, cool. That's normal. And then they tap that button and it shows them what insulin treatment they should have to help solve their hair needs, right? Basin treatment. Right. It shows them a shampoo, conditioner, and treatment that they should use. Um, and then it guides them to add pictures to a mood board. So they add pictures to their mood board. There's a big library that they can choose from. They can look for pictures of people with similar hair, people with similar faces. They can do a celebrity match. They can do a color try on. They can add all these images to their mood board and make little notes. They do all of that in their own time. Yeah. They answer questions about their hair habits, their hair history, their lifestyle and their personal style. Because Mark Hayes said, I was listening to Mark Hayes talk on a podcast. Mark Hayes, the creative director of Sassoon. Yeah. And he goes, if someone asks me what's going to suit them, I want to know who they are because that's way more important than what they look like or what their hair's like. Yeah. Who they are as a person, right? Um, so we, we they answer all those questions. And I see it in the hair app 
in my hand on my phone or on my salon device once they've done it. So before they come to me for a haircut, so let's say you're coming to me for a hair, yep. have your haircut. Um, you've tapped on my link and you've built your mood board and I get a little notification to say Haley's profile's ready. I tap on the link and it opens the hair app and I see the pictures that you've added. I see your your lifestyle, hair history, hair habits, and personal style questions answered. I see a picture of you currently um, and any notes that you've added to your images. So what's amazing for me is I've just had, without any time done, the most comprehensive consultation, hands down. Yeah. So you come in, you sit down, and we just go straight to the pictures. I love that so much. And Comes just, down. Boom, same page. This actually brings me back to something you and I were talking about probably two-ish years ago. We were talking about no extra time and how we both have to utilise our time in the most efficient way possible because we're so busy. Yeah. So you've just created a whole heap of space in your day-to-day column, but more comprehensive information on the client at the same time. And you know what's interesting? Lots of people have said, so So I've heard this feedback from people who are using it. One of them is that whole thing of saving time. The second thing is of how relieved people feel being prepared ahead of time. Because in the morning, I can come in and instead of looking at my column and seeing um, I've got Haley and Michelle and Lauren and Jackie, and she's having a root touch up and she's having a half head of foils and she's having a full head of foils. Instead of seeing that, I now just see a picture of a person and pictures of hair that they like. Cool. I feel really comfortable because now it's not a conversation about, okay, so half a head of foils. What does that mean to you visually? Have you got any pictures? Don't show me pictures of your boyfriend's dick. I don't want to see that. You know, so no more dick pics. But uh, but then somebody brought something up the other the other day, which was interesting, because that no extra time, the feeling of relief. But somebody brought something up to me, which was, we've got this whole kind of um, there's a whole lot of people now who, um, whether there's more of them or whether we're more comfortable expressing it, are socially awkward and struggle to communicate face to face or even have a phone conversation. Hello, yeah. Me, me. <laughs> um, and so, you know, people are used, people can be this like, they can be themselves on an app, right? Like you can be vivacious and you can be funny and witty and sharp when you're on an app because it's easier. There's, there's no judgment, right? There's no judgment. You don't have to worry about saying the wrong word or uh, how do you pronounce Bellagio or, you know, any of those things. You just like, I don't have to say the wrong thing. So, yeah. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. And I think, actually, this brings me uh, to a point. I'm just going to digress for a second. Would you say that the implementation of what happened during COVID was a real catalyst for this kind of change? And can you talk us through why COVID was really key to the inception of this concept? Mm. Yeah, technology, like I don't know, you, you will have noticed it and anyone who's listening will have noticed that technology accelerated massively through COVID. 
Um, I was looking at some studies that said that the adoption of technology accelerated eight to 15 years in the two-year period between 2020 and 2022, um, which is crazy, right? Which puts everybody like anybody who's working in the tech space, suddenly the adoption of technology was like 10 to 12 years ahead of where they expected to be. Um, and I think like when you think about it, we're doing this conversation over Zoom. Right. Most people are pretty comfortable jumping on a Zoom call, clicking a link, doing a Google Meet, uh, you know, doing a Teams Meet, whatever. Yeah, cool. That's just another link I'll click on and I'll communicate with people. And I think that basic interaction of, of this technology helped accelerate the adoption of other technologies. You know, and obviously social media has played a big part in that as well. And one thing that I've noticed, um, and it's interesting because I kind of, I'm, I might be a little bit spectrumy because I noticed patterns and the patterns that I observed over the years, particularly working as a session stylist where I was working with, you know, musicians at a high level. I was working with record labels. I was working with, um, with magazines and magazine editors and fashion brands. And I've noticed similar patterns of change emerge in our industry that preceded the, mu the change in the music industry from analog to digital. I've noticed, I noticed what happened during that digital time because I was working with a couple of big brands when the digital revolution happened in music and the record labels had no idea how to cope or adapt. You know, their model was changing and it was flipping on its head. It was inverting. The same thing has happened with print media. You know, we look at print yeah. media. In many cases, I still love to pick up a magazine and look at it. But I was talking to my wife yesterday. I get up in the morning, do my little morning routine, make a coffee. And if I've got 20 minutes, I flick through Instagram and TikTok. And that's me flicking through the newspaper or a magazine, mm. or, you know, but it's it's kind of much bigger than that. But I see it in, as the same thing. Yeah. And so media changed. And, you know, Netflix um, uh, Netflix and streaming services have completely changed the way we consume entertainment. Mm. Um, dating, you know, people only connect digitally for dating now. Like, yeah, people meet each other. And like 15 years ago, if you said we met online, you'd be like, what, you got no social skills? What's going on? Whereas now that is actually how, if you, if you didn't meet online, it'd be like, what, do you got no social skills? <laughs> yeah. What bars are you going to? Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, you know, the thing is that the adoption of technology has accelerated through COVID. And I think a couple of things happened as well, like not just the adoption of technology, but I think many hairdressers recognized when the shops shut and you could not see your clients there was a, a very harsh reality check. My thing that I do is my livelihood. My livelihood is a business. The business aspect of my livelihood, which is basically money in and money out, right, is essential for me to actually pay some attention to. And I think a lot of people who were like ostrich style accountants, which was me too back in the day, right? Like, 
just stick your head in the sand and hope it all works out, comes out in the wash. You know, there's enough cash flow to ensure that it'll all come out in the wash and you can kind of mush things around every end of the month to get it, get it working. Yeah. Now, suddenly when there was no cash flow, it was like, uh-oh, I need to look at this seriously. And I think many people took a long, hard look at their business and went, okay, what are my key performance indicators? What are the revenue levers in my business? How can I impact? How can I, how can I fix those things in my business so that I can maximize my revenue from each of my clients and ensure that my business is healthy at its heart? And if my business is healthy, in other words, my business is profitable, my KPIs are all where they should be, then I can survive should there be another catastrophic impact like COVID. Um, and I think that fundamental shift in the mindset of the industry has been huge. I, I think that we all kind of loosely have a bit of a plan B because it's not completely impossible that something of that nature or similar structure could happen again, mm. especially based on my readings um, in various newspapers over the last day, last couple of days. And something that you said to me, um, we were at Dennis Langford's memorial and we were having a chat and you said to me, what was your biggest learning out of COVID? Mm. And it was such a poignant question because I had to really stop and think. There were so many learnings but what was the biggest and yep setting up the business so that regardless like safeguarding every aspect and I completely tore the business down and built it back up again and now with the introduction of AI I'm finding that I'm doing the exact same thing again only two years later mm -hmm. and I think every every salon owner business owner should look at how what what are the potential impacts that AI will have on my business positively, negatively, and prepare for both of them. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, like, you know, when the internet first came along, right, we were all like, oh, my God, what's this going to mean? It's going to be the destruction of mankind. And it, now it's a tool that we use, right? And it has some shadowy parts and yeah. it has some really bright, shiny parts and it has lots of mediocre parts. Um, and it's a tool that we use. And I think AI for me feels like a, the the the, a, the introduction of AI as a readily available tool for people to play with is similar in that sense that it changes the way we think about communication and creativity and learning, right? It's going to change learning massively. It's mm -hmm. going to, you know, it's going to accelerate the ingestion of knowledge and information because um, it's going to have a huge impact on that. I think creatively, look, you know, there are image models, which are kind of fun to play around with. There's going to be some stuff around what's real, what's not real. You know, we've been playing around with Photoshop for years. It's like all of that stuff is like whatever. At the end of the day, you know, when you look at chat GPT, for example, you can ask it to do something and it'll do, you know, a pretty good job like a mid-level mediocre person would do. It doesn't have the expertise, right? Um, and I think as creatives, one thing for me as craftspeople, hairdressers, the only thing that AI will do for us is help our job, help us be better at our jobs because we still need the human touch. Mm. You need the human application you need the human 
what's the word I'm looking for? It's like how you, 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 you assess something, you make a decision, you make a recommendation, you, you intuitively kind of shape the outcome according to your flavor. Mm. You need that human interpretation in order to make it a personalized service. So not everything ends up this kind of mediocre, all the same kind of thing. Well, AI will never replace emotional engagement or relationships. No. So, no. But it can help enhance it, right? It can help yeah. accelerate. Like, like for me, like I want to find a way, and and you know, I think we've done that now with the hair app is to have have technology enhance the human connection, right? Just have technology as a way of interfacing better, faster to make faster, deeper, more human connections, because that's what happens when you when someone sits in the chair. I was talking about that woman in the 90s that came into the salon at the beginning of this conversation. And for me, at the heart of everything I do is that that emotion, you know? And if we can find ways to leverage, because let's face it, fucking technology's here, man. It's not going away, right? You got, like Bruce Lee said, you adapt or you die. Yeah, so, <laughs> you do. Um, you know, it, look, where's Blockbuster? Where's Toys R Us? Where are those big brands? Where's Nokia? You know? Yeah. Like those were big brands that failed to adapt. And as an industry, we need to adapt or we will die. And if we don't adapt, we'll just end up getting further and further and further behind. And so for me, if we can find ways to leverage technology in our industry to enhance the opportunity to have that emotional connection, that human intuitive interpretation, and just improves the communication, which is exactly what Zoom does. Yeah. It improves communication. If we can improve communication with technology in the salon and as an outcome of that, we have better business, then everybody wins, right? Well, I think, and I don't know, you, you feel free to agree with me here, but there has never been a stronger opportunity salons to increase their retail revenue than now because currently there's been so many options but what's being implemented is as you said right at the beginning there should be an option for every salon to retail instantaneously through tech through whatever that wherever they use but also whatever they don't use to be able to streamline a sales process through the hair app so can you give us a, a bit of background on how the hair app works in a retail sense well i think yeah retail is kind of the big big revenue driver right like yeah. so we we want to help that whole emotional connection but as a consequence as an uptick we we want to show uh, a return on investment right yeah you gotta make money um and uh so retail is a really interesting one right we have to use it or we will lose it there's a kink in the hose and that kink in the hose is at the point of sale the point of sale is in the salon Mm. Brands make beautiful products. Consumers want products. You know, we've done some um, some ads. Uh, we've run some ads with the hair app to test the consumer demand. 40% click through on our ads. Like 40% of consumers clicking through on our ads. 80% of consumers who tried the hair app in, in user testing said that they trusted the recommendation from the technology more. 96% of them wanted to buy the products that were recommended by the app. So people want products, brands make beautiful products to sell. Traditionally, the only place to get them was from the salon. And that was our little cream on the top of the service, right? 
Yeah. Um, and I want to, I'm going to tell you something in a minute about the money. I'm going to do a maths thing for you, which it will fucking freak you out and it'll freak okay. you out. Okay. <laughs> um, there's a kink in the hose because we hate fucking selling. Like I hate selling, right? But I want, if you're my client, I want your hair to be great. I want you to have the right products. I want you to use them. But I fucking hate selling them. I don't want to sell. I don't like it. It feels uncomfortable. It feels awkward. It feels pushy. It feels weird. But if you say to me, hey, should I use this? I'm going to go yes or no, you know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Or no, nah, use this instead. Yeah. Um, so what we're aiming to do is to unkink the hose for a, for a starter at the point of sale. The other thing that that um, the the hair app allows people to do with certain brands, some brands have the capability to do this, some brands don't, is for the salon or salon professional to be able to sell and recommend products without having to stock any product, without having any capital cost of product, to be able to select from up to 64 brands for a client to be able to purchase and for you to make revenue on without having any any icky transaction go on. It's just like sort of happens magically in the background. Um, and I think for me, that's kind of the biggest opportunity for us as an industry to own and to take back that retail sale that if we don't, we'll lose. Because the brands make beautiful products and the customers want the products and we're going to get them to them somehow, right? Whether that be through the hairdresser with the hairdresser actually benefiting from it or whether it be through a, a retailer or an Amazon or another kind of online place where consumers can end up buying stuff and it's happening all over the world, unless we take it back, we're going to lose it. Absolutely. Think, yeah, it's it's kind of critical. Now, you want to hear some maths? This is crazy, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. Okay. So the average margin on services in Australia and New Zealand is 3%, which means if you do a $200 service, the average profit on that $200 service is going to be six bucks, right? By the time you take all your costs out of it. And I've got this really, okay. if people want to work out their costs, I've got this really cool little profit price, profit pricing for profit calculator on the Hair App website. It's totally free. They can go in and they can work out the actual costs of running their business and get an hourly cost. Okay. Right? Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but anyway, that being said, so this is the average by uh, across Australia and New Zealand is 3%. Now, some people are more than that. Some people are less, but whatever. The average is 3%. So that means 200 bucks service, six bucks. The average margin on product is 50% or 100% markup, right? Yeah. So that means that if you sell a $20 bottle of product, you get 10 bucks. You get 10 bucks. Your margin's 10 bucks. So people see the $200 and go, I got to focus on that $200 because it's $200 because that's big. I don't want to focus on this 20 bucks because that's small, right? It's only 10% of the, 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 the total thing. 20 seems small to 10. But when you take all the costs out and you put your margins at the bottom, you're almost making double your margin on retail than you do on services. Yeah. And I, I know salons that, that, cover all of their expenses on retail. So that means that their services are only the people that they love serving, only the type of work that they love doing, and they're not necessary for the lifeblood of their business. Absolutely. It's, as a judge in some of the hair awards, I love seeing the business stats 
and actually like I'm terrible at maths but I understand exactly what it takes to run a profitable business and so I'm always looking at the salons that do amazing retail have the healthiest business Mm -hmm. also they have better opportunity to reinvest back into their team because they're so profitable yeah I love that point actually I think I think that's something that I like to talk about a lot is the idea of creating the culture that you want to create, if you want to attract staff, you've got to have a great culture. If you want to have a great culture, you've got to have a profitable business. If you want to have a profitable business, you've got to sell basin treatments and sell retail and hold your team accountable and create the culture that you want to create. And if you want to reinvest in education, in events, in team building, in having allowing people to have the kind of lifestyle that they want, in entering awards, in building profile, you got to build it into your cost base and you got to have the money to spend on that. And you can get the money to spend on that because here's, oh man, I just had a little moment actually. Oh, jumping. Here, here's something we don't realize as an industry. And I've learned this by studying uh, business and marketing, right? Most businesses will invest money in trying to attract what they call leads. Those leads will that they will then invest money and energy in those leads in the hope of turning them into customers once they become customers they hope to retain them as customers so they will continue to invest and buy money uh, spend money we have a whole database so companies will have this big database of people right that are segmented into you know leads warm leads hot leads customers you know etc we have a list of thousands, potentially, depending on the size of your business, of actual customers who are already customers. They buy from you and want to buy from you and give you your money. That is the most valuable resource any business could ever possibly hope for because they already know, like, and trust you. They already spend money with you happily so absolutely give them what they want the capital is in the ip and the ip is the relationship right 100 percent. you have you've really spoiled us today you've um you've shared so much of your knowledge and i think you've really created um and you've opened the door for so many people to use the hair app and you know, reap the benefits from it. So if someone wants to start engaging and use the hair app, how do they go about it? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it's really easy. You go to the website, thehair.app, click get started. It takes about 30 seconds to sign up um, and create the account and set yeah. it up. And there's a little, there's a couple of little videos there on how to use it. One of them's three minutes long and it just shows you where to get your prep link, how to integrate it into your salon software, Um and then that's it. I mean, it's pretty basic. There's also, um, there's a really cool new feature we just added, uh, which is education. So there's a, a video library in the app of cuts, colors, styling, and business uh, education. Fantastic. And I love your YouTube videos as well. Like you've made the instruction process so easy. Yeah, I just want it to be easy, right? Like, I mean, I... I don't like complicated things. I don't like conv- convoluted stuff. When people use words like convoluted that I don't know what they mean, I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, um, I, I, it's the same for me with hair education, right? When people make up terminology 
for stuff that like everyday terms like comb, section, line, diagonal, yeah. you know, and they make up weird convoluted terms for those. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're just confusing matters. Keep it yeah. simple. That's what I like. Keep it simple. Keep it straightforward. And, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're at the start of this journey. We're in a really good position. We've got, we've just signed a big contract with a, a massive Canadian distributor serving 35,000 salons and 200,000 independent operators in Canada. Um, and we are, you know, we're learning how to work with salon suites because that's a whole new part of the market where, you know, suites want to be able to serve their customers and their members in new ways. Um, so we're learning as well, right? And as a as a lifelong learner, as a lifelong martial artist, one of my kind of core philosophies that drives everything I do, my craft, my hairdressing, my martial arts, my life, my my the way I educate and now the tech company is how can you get a little bit better every day, right? Always, always reflect and use that reflection to find something that you can do better and then take that one thing and do it better. And so we're constantly, constantly just learning, 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 and trying to do things better all the time. I'm going to put all of your links, apps, everything that people need to firstly use the product, find you, look at the videos, all of that stuff's going to be in the show notes. So, um, awesome. yeah. So that people can, yeah, so people can reach out to you. But um, are there any handles that you wanted to just share while we're still having this chat in case someone wants to just jump on it straight away. Yeah. So the hair.app is the website. If you want to go there, if you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, I'm full of useful rants and raves and tips, uh, morning coffee and a bit of a rant. Uh, that's Richard Kavanagh, my name at Instagram and, uh, and on TikTok as well. I think I'm Richard Kavanagh one on TikTok because there might've been another one before me. Um, so yeah, follow along. Have a chat, reach out, drop me a message. I'm pretty good at responding to the DMs. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to the future. The future is now. It is. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really awesome chat. And I think we need to reconnect probably, let's see, three to six months' time and just look at how much everything has changed and shifted in this awesome. landscape. Sounds Thanks so great. much, Richard. Thanks, mate. 